We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, brought to you by Blue Wire and presented by BetOnline.ag. I am your host, Kyle Bandujo. I hope everyone is staying safe and sane as we continue to try to get on the other side of this quarantine situation. One of the things that I'm doing that I'm sure you could guess is watching a lot of TV and movies. That includes a lot of rewatches. I'm pretty sure that Bull Durham has been on MLB Network like 10 times, uh, plus Warrior and That Thing You Do for episodes later this month. So if you want to get a rewatch of those in, by all means, go for it. Uh, but also trying to get into new stuff. Fiance and I have, have gone headfirst in a great British baking show and finally started The Sopranos, which is probably my biggest you know piece of pop culture FOMO at this point in my life. However, I have also tried to discover some new films, and that's where today's episode comes in. A few weeks ago on Twitter, the documentary film 50 Summers came into my timeline, and right away I was intrigued and wanted to watch it. The 2018 documentary that's now available to stream pretty much everywhere serves as a history of the last 50 years of minor league baseball as told through the history of the Omaha franchise. It was the Omaha Royals and the Omaha Golden Spikes. They are now currently the AAA Omaha Storm Chasers of the Pacific Coast League. Still, they, they've made, stayed with the Royals for 50 years, and, and that kind of continuity is something the film really leans on. I'm going to leave the full description to the director Dan Napoli and producer Bill Hipsher which you'll hear from here in a few minutes, uh, but wanted to give a quick rundown and endorsement of this film because I thought it was an excellent watch. It's something that can, you know, it, you don't have to be a, a, a baseball fan or a minor league baseball fan, can resonate with any, you know, any person, any baseball fan, anyone who's even been to a minor league sporting event because what really comes out of this film is an incredible, you know, the incredible community and experience that minor league baseball franchise or any minor league sports franchise uh, can, you know, can bring to a city. Obviously, that's something that's a little bittersweet right now. We're in this MILB and just sports in general, this hiatus. As soon as I finished this movie, I was almost aching to head to my local minor league ballpark. Shout out to the San Antonio Missions. Cannot wait to attend a game again. 
Um, but about the film, first and foremost, it's a it's quick, easy watch. Clock's in about an hour and a half. We you know breeze through it on a Sunday afternoon. If I'm being honest, and I think I said something about this to the guys during the interview, I wish I'd had a lot more. Um, I'm I'm just crazy about minor league baseball. I could have you know this could have been a ten part series for me. But if you're looking for something that is a light, fun, easy watch, just something that you know is going to take your mind off what you know what's going on in the world right now. 50 Summers is a great way to go. They did a you know a twofold job of getting an excellent cast of characters to tell a story about both minor league baseball and what baseball has meant to Omaha for these last 50 years and even you know before. Obviously, Omaha is synonymous with college baseball, the College World Series. Um, but it, it's Omaha is just a baseball town, and, and that you know that comes out in this documentary. There's big baseball names like uh, former Marlins World Series winning manager Jack McKeon. Hall of Famer George Brett, Baseball America's J.J. Cooper, who is a one-man minor league baseball encyclopedia. They also bring in longtime employees of the Omaha franchise. There's a, there's a lot of those. Uh, GM Marty Cordero is, is kind of the head of that. He's really charismatic. He's the heart of the franchise right now. But there, there's so many longtime employees who really exemplify you know, what a family a minor league baseball franchise can be. I'm really partial to that. Um, me personally, I... Uh, you know, I, I I interned at a couple minor league franchises when I was younger, when I was in college. I, you know, I just, I love minor league baseball. And this documentary, does, there's so much that's like minor league specific that's really interesting that they dive into. Things that, you know, come up throughout the franchise's 50 years. One of the things that I think people think about when they think of minor league baseball teams or, or just minor league sports is the the names like the you know the crazy names that we have now like the Binghamton Rumble Ponies or the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp things like that um, logos you know the the new probably it's been kind of like the new wave of minor league baseball in the past you know ten to fifteen years of, of teams really jumping on the, this branding and going non traditional you get a really good breakdown of how that process comes together you know for better or worse the Omaha franchise has, has tried it twice. Um, it seems like the Storm Chasers is really sticking, really successful. You get to, you know, they they show that process, which is really cool. Um, also, perhaps no minor league ballpark situation has been as hotly debated as Omaha's. They they had the shared space with the College World Series for the longest time at Rosenblatt, which is a classic stadium, was a classic stadium. But you get a, a cool look at what led into Omaha's new minor league only ballpark, which is just gorgeous like the shots of the park in that movie are incredible if nothing else this documentary is going to put a trip to warner park on your bucket list it's definitely on mine there's a lot more awesome stuff that they they pack into that hour and a half you know bull durham's impact on minor league baseball how that actually changed perception and popularity of minor league baseball um the the business operations that that happen on a a day-to-day basis in the game day which is something that it's it's a cool look behind the scenes, and it's also for someone like me who worked in minor league baseball. It was really, it was just nice to see a, um, you know, a light shined on that, and kind of the change in business operations going less about baseball, more about the fun business. And you know, frankly, since we can't go to a minor league park right now, this documentary is about the best alternative. Um, I really enjoyed it. I rented it on Prime, but again, it is pretty much everywhere. You can stream. Uh, it's on iTunes, Voodoo. I think uh, you know Dan and Bill go go into that when when we first get going. Let you know where you can stream it. 
Um, I'm, I'm glad they took the time to talk about the process, talk about how they came about interviewing, you know, getting everyone on board from this, you know, to a, a longtime grounds crew attendee to Warren, all the way to Warren Buffett. Um, it, it was a, it was an interesting interview. They also let me know about an upcoming project they have at the end. Highly encourage everyone to, to check that out. Um, but if you're a baseball fan, if you're a minor league sports fan, check out this documentary is definitely worth the money. Definitely worth your time. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this interview with, uh, with Dan and Bill. If you do enjoy this episode, please remember subscribe to big screen sports on your favorite podcasting app. Leave a five-star rating and a review if you haven't yet. And check out past episodes of Big Screen Sports. See if we've covered any of your favorites or your least favorites. All episodes of Big Screen Sports are pretty evergreen. Um, you know, just try to keep it fun about pop culture. Uh, so, you know, check that out. We've got some exciting episodes coming up to end this month uh, doing Warrior. And then our first non-sports podcast, sports movie. Uh, going to change things up. Going to cover that thing you do. One of my favorite Hanks movies. But with that, let's get to Bill and Dan from 50 Summers. <laughs> Okay, I am joined today by Dan Napoli and Bill Hipsher, the director and producer of the documentary 50 Summers. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to talk to me over here at Big Screen Sports. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Of course. I was, um, I mean, right off the bat, I was I was blown away by the documentary. I loved it. Guys, promote it. Uh, what is it? What What is the uh, the subject of your documentary and where can folks stream it right now? So the film is 50 Summers, a minor league baseball documentary. It's currently streaming on iTunes, Amazon Prime, Google Play, Vudu, and a handful of VOD cable, which I guess is technically not streaming. (laughs) That's another place you can find it. Um, I mean, 50 Summers really, I guess the simplest um, synopsis is... We take a look at the last 50 years of the progression and evolution of minor league baseball through the experience of the Omaha franchise. Um, I don't know, Bill, do you want to add? I mean, is that kind of the, right? That's kind of the best way to look at it? It is. It's a, it's a film about minor league baseball through the eyes of Omaha uh, storm chasers. But I think it ends up being a film more about community and it's a sports film, but it's so much less about what's occurring inside the lines and so much more about what's happening outside the lines to, to have a a minor league franchise exist, um, not just continue to exist through the years and and the struggles that they went through to continue to, to stick around, but to stick around in one city for as long as they did, which was one of the things that when we first pitched the story was something that we thought was really interesting was uh, a unique fact about the, Omaha franchises, it's the longest standing relationship with a major league franchise uh, at the AAA level. And Storm Chasers and Omaha Royals and Golden Spikes and every other name that they've been through have always been affiliated with Kansas City. Well, I think it's the perfect documentary for what is going on now in an absence of baseball. It's kind of the perfect... uh, you know, depiction of, of how great and how special minor league baseball can be for, for a town, for a community, for an experience, for families and, and people of all ages. And it's a great motivator for, hey, when minor league baseball gets going again, everyone go support your local minor league franchise, go have a good time in a minor league game. But you mentioned, you know, when you first pitched the story, you know, um, can you guys walk me through the process, the origin of this project and how you got it off the ground? So I think it's... Uh... 
the the story is kind of a, a slow burn over a period of time. Um, we, my relationship with the Omaha franchise goes all the way back to when I was a kid and um, love of baseball. They had a, a, a junior, so anyone under I think it was 16 years old could get a season pass for something like 40 bucks. And I went to every game. I chased autographs. I was a baseball card collector, and then crossed paths with them several other times throughout my business life. And ended up building a relationship with one of our our agencies with the local club, um, helping them with some some marketing. And as we got to know them and see what was really happening behind the scenes, started to find these interesting stories that you know, for, for Dan and I as storytellers, you know, you're always looking for what's something interesting behind the scenes that most people don't get to see. And after, you know, being a baseball fan and and playing baseball for a little while, and then, you know, going to all these games, I didn't realize what was happening behind the scenes, nor did I realize how much had changed over the years to be successful. So as we got exposed to this, um, we we were uh, thinking about what story there could be to tell. And, And that started with, we're coming into our 50th season. We're going to do a brainstorming session on what we can do to promote the ball club this next year. And we were included as a part of that. And as I was talking to Marty Cordero, the GM for the Storm Chasers, we kind of finished up that phone call talking about it. I'm like, hey, Marty, have you uh, thought about maybe doing like a feature-length documentary that we we could do during this season? And, and Marty will tell you that um, – he thought I was kind of joking and didn't think it would ever come together. And he said, yeah, send me over a treatment and we'll, uh, we can talk about it. So I walked across the, the agency office and, and over to the film studio to talk to Dan and told him and, and Dan got excited. I think I wrote up the treatment that night and sent it over and, and, uh, the owner and the GM of storm chasers loved it. And they gave us access, uh, for the next season to go tell the story behind the scenes, kind of using them as the centerpiece of this story. Yeah, from from my perspective, Bill just really got my, you know, my mind and my curiosity growing. Um, I didn't grow up in Omaha or Nebraska, but I've been here since '94. I actually came here to play baseball. Um, I was a low level to mediocre uh, left-handed D two college pitcher. Um, I grew up in Denver, um, which, because of my age, for most of it was a minor league baseball city. Uh, the Rockies didn't come there until 93, I believe it was, or 92, which was like my junior year of high school. So I grew up with the Denver Bears and the Denver Zephyrs, which ended up being New Orleans. Um, and a lot of our other work has been sports driven. So Bill knows my, you know, knows that as my background and, and, and me as a sports guy as well. So when he, you know, came to me with this for, for us to kind of be like our, our next project, uh, it was, you know, it was pretty exciting and it really got sort of, the wheels turning. And I, I think what I started to come into and, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if it was like this for you, Bill, but even um, a little bit in myself, but also in fans, I know so many baseball fans that really don't know what Bill was talking about in that, what goes into the minor league franchise and like what really goes in. And then you start to also see how integrated and really important these franchises are in the communities that they're they're located in. Dan, I'm uh, I am a an alumni of a I'm a very mediocre Division two right handed pitcher, so we, <laughs> nice. we have that in common. We have a a common thing. Um, 
I'm also a former uh, minor league baseball intern. I've got a really nostalgic spot for the behind the scenes of, of what goes into minor league baseball and how those games get off the ground every single day. You guys intersperse the narrative history with the goings on, you know, before Omaha's opening day. I'm not even sure there's a question here, more of just an appreciation, but can you kind of walk me through, you know, the behind the scenes before we get into, you know, talking about the history, kind of just the behind the scenes. Was there anything that jumped out to you in surprise of how much goes on with a minor league franchise from just day to day or getting ready for a game? Um, gosh. Okay. Which, which is a very general question. I just couldn't not talk about the behind the scenes of minor league baseball because it's something I appreciate so much. And I was so, I loved the, the jumping back and forth into, you know, rolling up the t-shirts, getting the merch store ready, all that stuff. So I know if I, if I'm remembering correctly, so in, in, in Bill's original treatments and in our discussions, I remember he, you know, he was like, okay, um, we've got to deal. We, we, we want to show Omaha's history, um, the overall history of minor league baseball, and that staff game day and, and going on experience. Um, so that was kind of put, you know, what was kind of put in my plate a little bit. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, Bill, you can speak on on why you thought that was, you know, an, an important thing for us to make sure and, and get our, you know, our lens in front of. Yeah. And I mean, I might turn that question back around to you in a minute here <laughs> to talk about your internship, Kyle, because I think what we saw was this group of people who were as much of a team outside the white lines as what you had inside. And with the... Um, transient nature of minor league baseball players between different levels, they may not even be as connected as the team that's that's running the organization. And there's so many entry-level people and so many people who have to let down barriers to be successful. And just watching what they had to do together to go create 72 unique experiences each year that would draw people out to this entertainment like that they mentioned in the film competes against so many different things. And I think the one thing to me that really just the passion that these people had for the, the product that they were putting out there in the community and then the inhibitions that they had to kind of like leave behind in order to be successful. Like they had to drop it all. You had to kind of like take on a little bit of a craziness to stand out in minor league baseball. Right. Marty didn't win his awards by like being tame and lame. Like he, he stood out because of the the things that he was able to do. And I don't know if you experienced that with your internship, but when you got there, what did you find that was surprising? I mean, some of the best friends I've made in my life are people that I had to get to the stadium and power wash the concourse with at eight o'clock in the morning or sitting <laughs> yep. in the sitting in, you know, in the office until, you know, late until midnight. And I was just a part-time intern because when I interned, I was either still at my college town playing baseball half the time, or it was when I was in summer ball playing for a summer ball team. So I was, I was only a part-time intern and you see, but the hours that the, that minor league staffs put in, and that's from the lowliest intern to the general manager, just the amount of time you're spending at the field, everything you're putting in behind the scenes. It is an incredible group effort, but it is pride of putting on, you know, even like from an intern's perspective, Hey guys, we, we got the catch the chicken game off without a hitch tonight. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of fun. 
Um, you know, the, the person we plucked from the stands was awful at catching chickens. How about that? <laughs> um, it's, it's minor league, like minor league baseball itself is just a great community. And the, the employees of minor league of a minor league team are their own little tight knit fun community. And I miss it every day. You've never seen a rougher looking group of people than a bunch of college age minor league interns uh, on a Wednesday morning game. There's no no worse, no tougher scene in the world. But um, Bill, you mentioned kind of the history of Omaha and how you had, you know, storyboarded it out or, or you know, your, your treatment of, of, of the plan that you had. Um, was there any sense of the project started out as this one thing or this goal of, of telling the history of the Omaha franchise? But once you immersed yourself and got this cast of characters to tell you about Omaha, that it really kind of expanded your horizon on the the history of of minor league baseball in your city was there anything really eye-opening to you or did you have the history you told in this in this piece really planned out so i think what was most surprising to me and sometimes i feel a little bit guilty because my job is so much easier than dan's job i i can come up with an idea and throw it at dan and team and uh they go make it a reality, right? And um, my, my involvement isn't nearly what it is. But what was most exciting to me was every time I would get a phone call from Dan throughout the production of this and saying, you'll never believe who we got to be on film with us tomorrow, or you'll never believe what minor league baseball opened up to us, or you'll never believe who we're talking to this afternoon. And like, hey, I'm going to be down filming Warren Buffett this afternoon. And I got George Brett and like hearing these things, both as an Omaha person and a business person and then a baseball person, like it just astounded me that we got this kind of support from that community and that kind of involvement. So I think it turned into something bigger than I imagined because of the people who were willing to step up and, and lend their time to this story. Um, think about what a minute of Buffett's time is worth and, and the fact that he gave his time really like stood out to me as like, this is important to, to baseball and to this community and um, people want to tell the story. And, and I think that's what stood out the most. Yeah. I mean, from, from executing that dude, I think, so I think, you know, we, we came in with a, with a general vibe and I think anybody, and like, look, I'm just going to quote other stuff here. It's like, obviously we're huge documentary fans. We're huge 30 for 30 fans and we're th- huge Bill Simmons fans. And he's got an awesome podcast um, about when they made the Andre the Giant documentary. And he said that it's like they were a million percent sure that the documentary was going to open this way with this thing. But like once they got into it, they actually went a different way. So our our broad strokes never changed. But we did a lot of discovery in what are those – what are those major milestones? Where do those sort of like fit in? And, and, and when you're telling a story that's this large, 50 years of, my, of the miners themselves plus 50 years of Omaha, there's a lot of um, editing in, in not you know the physical act of editing, but what goes in, what doesn't go in, really trying to figure out what was super, you know, super, super important. And then you also figure in the game day stuff – um, what got to be really interesting as we had gone through a lot of the interviews is there almost were these like two to- topographical maps that you could lay on top of one another. And for most of it, in just some happenstance, when there was a significant 
move for minor league baseball as a whole, pretty close there was a significant move for the Omaha franchise. Like around the time Bull Durham came out is around the time that the Omaha franchise became independently owned for the first time. They had sold it to the Gus Cherry Group previously was Kansas City. There was a bunch of like little things like that that kind of started to come together. Um, dude, it was exciting. It was as exciting for me to call Bill with those pieces of information um, I, as maybe it was for him to receive them up to be like, dude, Buffett's going to do it. Like those things kind of coming through. Um, you know, I think a lot of that just shows um, how much people care. And, 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 you know, minor league baseball was their their experiences was, was deeply, deeply personal to them. Also, as we started to interview some of these people, and again, I never, I never understood the impact of Bull Durham until we did interviews with people, and they were like, "Oh, okay, these are the three major. I'll give you three major things that changed our lives as an as a minor league baseball as an industry. This, this, this. And Bull Durham was always on those people's list, and that was just interesting. I mean, I loved the movie as a kid." Um, and as a baseball guy, but I, I guess I didn't really understand what it represented until we kind of got into this. And that was really fascinating. Big Screen Sports is presented by BetOnline.ag. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline, sells hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. You have your own quarantino. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. That little dive into Bull Durham and what it did for minor league baseball was potentially my favorite part of the documentary Bull Durham is my favorite baseball movie for, you know, the reasons that it helped minor league baseball, just that, that vibe that it brings to the screen. I, I love it. Kevin Costner is, is Jesus as far as this podcast is concerned. Um, but you, you mentioned having to decide what's going in, what's not. How long could this documentary have been, Dan? Is there like a 10 hour director's cut you can send me? You have like a story of Willie Wilson learning how to be a switch hitter while he's in Omaha, just kind of a placeholder for like, hey, these are the notable baseball developments that happen here. This is what comes out of the minor leagues. How many like cool stories like that did you have to leave on the cutting room floor? Oh, I'm, a lot. I mean, it could be it could be a mini. It could be a mini a mini Ken Burns. I mean, it's. So, so there's another thing too to go back to what you two guys were were speaking about a few minutes ago about the staff. Um, just so everybody knows, it's re- it's really interesting. So the cut-ins to the game day staff, yes, that was all truly done on opening day. But the other stuff that you see around the film, I think we shot something like what was it, Bill? Like 25 games, uh-huh. like, and where we went and stayed with the staff all day. Um, in those to get the nuggets that we needed so that go into some other areas. So on one hand, yeah, there's all that stuff. Um, you know, I think we interviewed JJ Cooper for like four hours, um, who that, that could have been its own thing. Um, Jack McKean telling like old school Omaha stories, 
um, yeah, there, there, there was a lot of, um, and so that just created a challenge of like, okay, how can I, how do we keep good pacing? How do we give some nuggets, um, you, you know, kind of serve those, those, those different masters. But yeah, I mean, there could definitely be, um, you know, and that's a good thing. That's like where Bill comes in, of course, as a producer as to like, Hey dude, no Lord of the Rings, two parters. <laughs> this is get, get me around 90. Um, you know, that, and, and, and that was a, that's a big help having like a producer like that, that can, you know, help you. I'm trying to remember it was a little fat. I mean, maybe what was the first thing that you looked at, Bill? Was it maybe like 20 minutes longer than it was knowing we'd cut it down? Yeah. It was about an hour 53. Okay. I just got to say Jack McKeon's old Omaha story sounds like potentially the best podcast in the history of podcasts. Just give me an hour of Jack McKeon telling old Omaha stories and just inject that into me. You guys mentioned, uh, you, you, Danny mentioned JJ Cooper. I think very highly of JJ. Naturally his commentary was, was one of my favorite parts of the doc. He kind of serves as an MILB historian of sorts, um, you know, a four hour interview with JJ. I think, you know, you definitely didn't have four hours of JJ in the hour and a half documentary. Um, I, I want to go through a lot of this cast of characters, this, this perfect, you know, this perfect commentary that you guys got, but what was the process of getting JJ involved? What was your, your goal for your conversation with him? So when you, when you build out, documentaries like this and we've we've done enough of these that i mean there there you know there are roles there are things that you go into and you you need we always knew that we wanted and needed you know a, a media person to be a bit of of an authority you know an authority or kind of you your shorthand you would refer to him as your glue guy or gal you can have a couple of them um you know and we were looking to figure out who who that would be and Almost honestly, it came up half partially. Um, I don't know if I would say accident, but serendipity. Um, Gary Green, who owns the Omaha franchise, also owns Baseball America, and Jack McKean lives close to North Carolina to Durham. So we were heading down to go film Jack's interview and film the um, stuff with the Bulls. And Gary just asked, he's like, Oh, are you guys going to, you know, hook up an interview with, uh, JJ Cooper too? I was like, yeah, of course we are quickly going like, Hey Marty, can I get an email? And, um, I honestly, I, I Bill might've been aware. I didn't realize that, um, baseball America had an office in Durham. So we pinged JJ fairly last minute. You know, we're like, hey, we're going to be there in a week or two or whatever. And he was like, yeah, I'd love to do this. Um, so we just, I mean, and that's kind of almost a general working on how we booked a lot of cast. I mean, I mean, Bill, I mean, was there anybody that we really, really had to lean on hard? No, not that I can think of. And that was what was great about it is how open and, and quickly people responded and wanted to be a part of it. So many stories over the years, they're just like left untold. And I mean, you mentioned Jack McKeon and the stories that could be told there and um, Jesse and Bob Quinn. I mean, there is so much history stored with people that, you know, you, you want to be able to extract and pull out while you 
have that opportunity to talk to them and still learn about things of yesteryear, you know, because that's not always going to be there for us. And maybe that's, you know, something that's like super relevant today as we're going through the times that we are, but being able to capture a piece of yesterday with some of these people who just played pivotal roles in baseball and in general and minor league, it wasn't hard and it was super rewarding to go through. I mean, I could go through, ask questions about everyone you guys got on board. It's it's just an, an incredible work of, it, it's just very all-encompassing. It seems like you're very immersed in the story and what's going on in Omaha. I've just, I've got questions about a couple, just, just a couple people. I just, I mean, of note, sure. like Warren Buffett, it, I, I just can't imagine speaking to someone that rich that would intimidate me. But <laughs> the, the person that I've got questions about is Alan Stein who just seems like a great time. Seems like a really fun character. He's got that mustache. He's got a lot of enthusiasm. He was a very fun presence. Is it, did I did I get the right uh opinion of him? Oh, hey, Dan, 1 million maybe, percent. Oh, sorry, Bill, go ahead. No, maybe before we even get to the movie, I had mentioned that we crossed paths with them several times over the years in business and when they were looking for a place to build their new stadium when they were moving out of Rosenblatt. Um, I was, I built a campaign for a small city, uh, one of the suburbs of Omaha called Bellevue loves baseball to try and bring the Omaha Royals to this piece of land in Bellevue, which ultimately isn't where they wanted to go. Isn't where they ended up. And it makes total sense. My job wasn't to like understand why they wanted to be out in this one part of Omaha versus another part. It was to, but I, you know, my first interaction with Marty and, and Alan were, were on that process. And we got down, we were the, it was us versus the site that they're on right now. It had some pretty, uh, let's say, uh, Alan was super opinionated about where he was going to be. And it became very clear, like, you are not going to win an argument with him when he's made up his mind and he was super intimidating. So then when we came in and, and, you know, came to the film, like kind of carried that with us. And, but then I think the interview, it was like a whole different side that Dan got to experience with him. So there was the business side where he was, he knew what he wanted. He made the right choices. And then we went in to interview him and kind of got a different flavor. He seemed like quite the character to say the least. Um, Another, another guy who, who stuck out to me and who you guys got a lot from and is, I would think he, he is to me kind of the heart of this documentary. In a lot of ways is Marty, the, the current GM, if I'm not correct, he's still the, the mm-hmm. current GM of, of yep. Omaha. He, to me embodied everything about this franchise and what makes it special and what makes minor league baseball special and what makes someone with passion at this job, a, a perfect fit. If you could just, you know, just walk me through the process of meeting Marty and because Bill, it sounds like you had a pre-existing relationship with with yeah. Marty, correct? You've known him a while. Known him a while. Um, one of the most driven people that I've ever interacted with, which is I think why he's successful, and that comes out in the film when he and um, Rob are talking about their their early days. And um, but very impressive when it comes to sorry, like eye on the ball. Like he is laser focused on what's going to happen. Uh, very, very passionate and uh, can be a polarizing figure. And maybe that didn't come out as much in the film as it is in real life. But I think that was one of the things that made me feel like we could be successful with this is you had somebody at the center of it who has 
passion and focus that was going to stand out and was going to help us make this film be successful, both, you know, throughout the filming and then afterwards, like he has been an integral part of this thing coming together. So, but for Marty being at the helm and having that pre-existing relationship, I don't know if we would have gotten the ability to tell this story and I don't think it would have come out the way that it did. Dan, what do you think? Oh, certainly. That's, that's certainly, I think, accurate, Bill. And, and, you know, the other thing, so when you're doing documentaries like this, um, credibility rubs are everything. And what I mean by that is like, because people in different positions get approached for documentary stuff all the time, the range from, you know, a a documentary that's maybe going to be a little bit more thoughtful, though, you know, more sensational stuff like yada, yada. And, And so having Marty feel good about us, that we would be, that we would be authentic, you know, I think is, is the key. And, and, that opened so many of these other doors. Um, I think, I mean, Marty is an absolute in, intense guy. He just, he loves baseball. He loves it. Um, it's clearly, you know, I mean, I'm sure you tell you the same thing. He has probably three passions in his life, his family, baseball and star Wars. Um, and you know, that, that comes across, you know, there, there are some hints that I, I could imagine, you know, I could imagine when he had first come there, um, that kind of being, um, the franchise at that time was maybe very in the like, kind of, I don't want to say maybe ho-hum, but they had talked about that. It's just like, ah, oh, we just, we just do what we do. And these are the way things are. And like, Marty is not like that. He's an intense guy. So I could see that, that part in the film that Bill's referring where he, he talked about um, him and Rob being very gung ho. Let's go. And, and, you know, people being like, Hey, new guys, let's, let's settle down. But yeah, I think, I mean, Marty really, really embodies those. Um, and he doesn't just love the game. He, he loves the people he interacts with there. I think my favorite quote from the film in regards to Marty uh, it was a really little subtle one, but it was from it was from Kevin Reichardt, another journalist that we had, we had talked to who covers baseball, um, the building of parks with his his publication. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he made some comment to the effect of that, like you could see if you ever came out to Warner Park, you could see a little bit of Marty reflected in the way that that park is designed. And I just thought that that was a really interesting quote about kind of who Marty is, maybe. You get you mention um, quotes like that. The your your favorite quotes of the movie. I think mine and this. I don't have it. I didn't write it down in my notes. If you, what is the name of the longtime grounds crew employee that that you guys that you guys featured a few times during the documentary? Oh, uh, you're talking about Jesse Cuevas. Yes, yes, him. the The part where he's talking about the last game in Rosenblatt. Um, that for me is the most. It is like to see the emotion in his in his voice and, and on his face is the most the biggest example of how emotional and attached a city and a community can be to a, a minor league franchise and to a, to a ballpark. And I loved just getting in with it. I loved the history of Rosenblatt being incorporated into the documentary and into the. Um, you know, just into the, yeah, just the, the culture of the film. I'm a big College World Series fan. I got to go to Rosenblatt once in the 2008 College World Series. It's a memory I'll, I'll cherish forever. But um, with, when it comes to Jesse, Jesse Cuevas and the other, the longtime employees that you talk to, 
what was what did you really get out of them in terms of you it seems like you found a lot of people with long enduring relationships with the Omaha franchise it seemed like they had a lot of lifers or or close to lifers in terms of people that worked for the the Royals the Golden Spikes etc what do you think that says about the franchise and how they go about things and how it's this perfect vessel of of continuing it's like the same thing with the Royals this is a very long kind of question but but what do you think it says about that franchise that they have so many people who've been attached to the the franchise for so long I, th- I think in a general sense I mean they certainly have 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 turnover like a lot of other folks in minor league baseball and and, and some of the staff that is featured in the film um, since the film has shot and come out have kind of moved on um, just just you know a few I think it just says that overall kind of you know, it's maybe cliche, but there's something about that kind of like Midwestern values to valuing like longevity, longevity, you know, the new shiny thing isn't always maybe the best thing in the world, uh, you know, and I, I think that that's reflective in, in, in being people driven. I mean, Jesse Cuevos and, you know, I mean, you know, Bill can speak to Jesse more because like I, I didn't grow up here. So probably like you, I was like, oh, my God, if I could somehow get to the College World Series as a player, my life would be made. Didn't, didn't quite get there, but we did get to do this film. But I mean, Bill growing up in the shadow of Rosenblatt, man, like, oh, my God, I couldn't even imagine how great that was. It's funny. One is a groundskeeper, a uh, minor celebrity within your, your city. <laughs> and, and that's what Jesse was. I mean, Jesse was everybody knew who Jesse was. He, he probably couldn't go out in town without being recognized because um, he had that connection. He was the guy who, who took care of the jewel of Omaha for so many years and, and just became super well-known and connected to what he was doing and, and respected for the craft that he had that maybe some people didn't understand like the, the care and diligence and expertise that goes into maintaining and keeping that field there and ready for the AAA team and then the, the college world series for so many years. But Jesse, like, yeah, you, if you're not from Omaha and you didn't attend many college world series, you probably have no idea how big of a minor celebrity he was here in town. Um, I have an insane Jesse story. Oh, hit me with it. Okay. It's, this is just super baseball coincidental, right? So we're interviewing, um, Jesse and I know because of the way that it used to be. I mentioned earlier, I grew up in Denver. The Denver Bears were in Omaha's conference at that time. And I just sort of threw it out there. I grew up playing baseball with a kid named Mike Angelini. His dad pitched for the Bears and also got a cup of coffee or two for the Royals. Um, I was like, I'm going to. Also, I'm always trying to, you know, ice break my talent and get people comfortable. So I just asked Jesse because I know the time. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to throw this. I'm sure there's no way, but I had a friend of mine. His dad pitched um, in Omaha for a little bit for the Bears and then got to KC. The last name is Angelini. Did you know? He's like, Norm Angelini from 70 to 71 and 72 to 73. Oh, man, that guy was a wild man. And he just starts going off on some. I'm like, what are the, the odds that would be? And also, of course, the fact that Jesse, I, I bet he remembers every every player he probably that went through there and had some interactions with. That's incredible that I I'm I'm very envious of his memory just for one. That, that's incredible. But you, you guys got a lot of people like Jesse who had such ties to the stadium. I've got to ask you about one more name. 
uh, and this is the one that will probably be the most relevant to people who aren't quite as dialed into baseball. The film is narrated by Rob Riggle. How did that come about? That was Bill's idea, actually. Um, do you remember that, Bill? Yeah, uh, <laughs> faintly, but we were trying <laughs> to figure out. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, no, we get towards, you know, we're starting to get towards the end of, um, we were done filming, I think, right, Dan? Or, or nearly done. We might have some yeah, yeah. afterwards. And talking about narration, who the voice is going to be. And we had a couple of people that were going to chase, but we wanted to find someone who had some connection to um, the Royals, uh, whether it be Omaha or Kansas City, but somebody who would have some heart in this and made a list of who are people who we think might have some reason to connect to this and and be a part of it. And um, we just, we just started uh, reaching out to agents and talent and uh, seeing who would connect with it and it connected with uh, Rob and his team. And um, it went really quick. I mean, I think it went from us having the idea that we were going to seek some, somebody with a a name for narration to coming up with a list of 10 people sending out emails and having him locked down was maybe a three week process, Dan. Yeah. um, The, so I'll I'll add some cool Rob Rob Riggle thing. It was weird too because yeah, it was a. I mean, we probably started. Um, so we did our first screening for you know cast crew people whatever beginning of October. Um, this is probably like early September, and I I think what we had kind of landed was the concept of like, hey, maybe maybe the big slick, maybe that's somebody you know. And Bill was the one who specifically I remember say, make sure that we reach out to Rob Riggle. I really think that that was so. Um, it was weird and it was short in a weird way too. It was also last minute. Um, I was telling this story to somebody the other day. So we send our stuff to Riggle's um, people. We're, we're waiting. We're coming close to that uh, premiere. I have a guy um, lined up who I've worked with a bunch on um, several other like extreme sports docs and stuff we've done. And we don't know, you know, we're like, oh, maybe Maddie will be a placeholder. We'll kind of see what happens. Well, he pings me. He's like, dude, I'm leaving tomorrow for my honeymoon. But we have a day off in Italy. If you can find me a studio, I'll go in. I'm like, great. Probably 15 minutes later, we get an email from Riggle's management. Yeah, Rob's interested. Can he do it tomorrow? We're like, yes. But I also, as like in my spot, I have to assume that that falls through. So I literally stood up like almost 24 hours because of the time difference. I produced Matt. Uh, that was our guy in Italy who in essence did the backup track in case something fell through at like three in the morning. I think I took like an hour nap or something like that, woke up and I saw on the schedule, you know, from Bill that it was like, yep, it got all, it got all worked out. Rob's going to be at a studio in, um, I think he was in Burbank or Culver city somewhere. He had, he basically shot a guest appearance on Brooklyn nine, nine in the morning. And then, had a little slot in the afternoon. So I'm calling, you know, studios in LA also, of course, being Midwest, like I'm inconveniencing them. Like, I'm sorry. It's like a drop in. And I, I'll never forget the gal working at the desk. Uh, she was from Wisconsin. So she kind of laughed, you know, fellow Midwesterner. She kind of laughed and she's like, well, when she knew who it was for too, she's like, Oh dude, this is how it rolls in LA. She's like, we have studios basically that are des- dedicated to that kind of last minute, like ADR or pickup or that kind of stuff like that. And yeah, it just was like, I Skyped in to produce it. 
Rob was unbelievably amazing and gracious. Um, he congratulated us on having the film finished because he just knew in general that like what a process is uh, making something like this. And how ridiculous is that, right? I mean, there's no reason for Rob Riggle to be doing that kind of uh, show that kind of love to us, which was, which was pretty great. Um, he wore his Royals Converse for the recording, which was pretty, pretty awesome. And yeah, we just, we just knocked it. We just knocked it out in a day, but yeah, that came together very much in the last three weeks. Yeah. I could not ask about Rob Riggle and it's good to know that there's definitely, there's some interesting story behind that. Um, a a couple more things and, and I'll, uh, I will, uh, get you guys out of here. Oh, good. I, I, this, this isn't, I mean, cause I could talk about this documentary forever. I thought it was wonderful. Um, this is non-documentary related. I have to ask, do each of you guys have a favorite baseball film? Dan, you first, uh, documentary or scripted, uh, either surprise me, killing me. Um, (laughs) just because it's, I'd say it's in my, my own genre uh, because it's documentary, um, battered bastards of baseball. I uh, like adore that's like a a wonderful, such a good documentary. I actually Uh, finally got around to watching that like two weeks ago. Interesting timing. Did you dig it? Yeah, no, I thought I thought it was really I thought it was really good. I also didn't realize that Kurt Russell played in the in the minor leagues. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, right. And Dan stole mine, and I think we had both <laughs> <laughs> we had Sorry, both Bill. watched that film and right. talked about how much we loved it. And I think you know that kind of got us as we're always thinking like, what's the next story going to be? Where do we find it? And I think both of us watching a, a baseball documentary that we really enjoyed made that connection to, hey, here's a story with Omaha pretty easy to jump to and that there's a reason to tell these stories and that people will connect to it. And yeah, we both, I think we both watched it like the week it came out. Dude, let me throw, let me throw you something back that, that kind of ties off, ties off. This This goes back to something you were talking about earlier, but, but um, this is too, what's, what's really cool about how this process works, right? Um, you were talking about the Jack McKean story. Obviously, there's no historical – one of the stories he tells, there's obviously no historical footage. So how do you cover that? Because obviously I have to chop this story up and it's bringing in some illustrations. Well, that idea that came way early simply in – Bill and I had both watched the Ric Flair 30 for 30 doc and Bill brought it up to me and got it on my radar that he was like, hey – if there's a spot that we, if we get in a spot and like, that's what's so awesome as a director about having a producer that you work with on that stuff. If we get in a spot, what do you think about incorporating something like this? I was like, Oh dude, that's really, that would be great. That's really smart. They used it. And then, you know, we're fortunate enough. Um, our art director is the creative director on the agency side and he's an illustrator. Um, so, um, does comic drawing and, and whatnot. So it was great to have that, but yeah, that's just kind of one of those great ways. I forgot that we had seen battered bastards at the same time. So I, I kind of stole your answer there, Bill. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, you mentioned the ne- the next story. Is there any upcoming where do you guys have anything in the sites or right now? Is it kind of just riding out 50 summers for now? Dan, you want to talk about best kids? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, we have um, another film, uh, that's coming out um, in the summertime. Um, so Gravitas Ventures, um, who we love, they've been super amazing. They're our distributor on the 50 Summers film. 
they've also uh, opted to take uh, this documentary, which is uh, an extreme sports documentary. It's about a group of kids from Texas uh, in the early 2000s who kind of jumped on and kind of transcended um, the sport of paintball, uh, amateur and professional paintball um, scene out there. That's really interesting because that's, of course, a world that a lot of people are like, pro paintball, what? Um, it's really interesting. They start, it started as kids back around 2001, 2002. Uh, they were last year's 2019 defending NXL Series champions, so they have kind of kept going. Um, that film is called Best Kids in Texas. Um, that's the next thing that, um, that we have coming out. That was kind of, it's, it's already all shot. I'm kind of just really mastering it out right now. So as we're promoting fifth Street summers, I'm kind of mastering that. Um, so that's the most direct next thing that we have coming. That's it's sure. You mentioned paintball early. I remember, I mean, being a kid in Texas in the early two thousands and paintball having this really big surge. So I'm absolutely going to put that on. Oh, my interesting. Radar. Where, where at in Texas were you? Right outside of San Antonio. Oh, dude. So very, very interesting. Very apropos. Uh, San Antonio X Factor is the professional team that ultimately these kids kind of piped their way up to. Um, and it's it's really interesting. Like you have some very uh, classic arcs of, you know, um, I would say rags to riches, but too much too fast for young athletes and how some kind of stuff like that comes in. Um so yeah, that's what we're kind of cranking on now. And, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of ideas in the pipeline beyond, you know, um, for, for what comes next, next, I guess we'll have to see. Well, back in that era, I was too busy sucking at baseball to go suck at paint. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely, you know, I'll eagerly anticipate that documentary, but guys, as far as 50 summers, um, again, fantastic work. I enjoyed it. Can't wait to give it a rewatch uh, and can't wait to go visit Werner Park someday. You guys put that one on my bucket list. Tell the folks again where they can stream the film and where they can find your guys' future works. Dan, if you want to start. Uh, yeah, so 50 Summers, uh, it's currently streaming. Uh, you can um, get your hands on it through iTunes, Amazon Prime, Google Play, Vudu, and it's also on selected cable outlets on their VOD. I'll let Bill take the second half slash question also because I forgot what it was. <laughs> I, I'm bad at the double question thing. I, I would get kicked out of most press briefings. Oh, that's all on me, bro. That's all on me. Bill, where can we find future works? Yeah, our production company is called Herdat Films, um, H-U-R-R-D-A-T Films. And uh, we keep that updated with the work that we have uh, completed and, and what's coming up next. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time talking about 50 Summers, and you guys have a good one. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much, man. It was a pleasure. That is it for today's episode of Big Screen Sports. Big thanks to Bill and Dan for joining me. If you enjoyed what you heard, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and tune in every Monday covering your favorite sports movies. Next week, we are talking Warrior, and we'll see you then. Thanks.
whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.